you know, we had to close and I didn't know, I didn't really know what to do. And I said, I'm going to go and get a bottle of champagne and we're going to drink it. I'm going to make some lunch and then let's just have a nice lunch because it's such a beautiful day. And then we'll work out what we're going to do because I really did not know what to do. I had a huge loan that I just taken out and we had all of a sudden no income. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. As the series has shown, the pandemic has given everyone in the hospitality sector a story to tell. Regional restaurants with no tourists, city restaurants with no workers, catering companies with no events allowed. The list, it seems, is endless. Many have had their entire business model turned on its head, and the road forward is like walking on shifting sand. Even though the regions are booming, some hospitality venues outside the CBD are still reeling. What will become of the regional venues reliant on huge catering events like weddings? Marty Boats is the owner of Cook's Co-op in the regional town of Sackville, New South Wales. Marty, how are you going? I'm fantastic today, thank you. <laughs> I have my I have my up and down days. Well, it's good to good to catch up with you. You've You've had a hell of a, a time like many in the industry. Um, you are in a regional town and your venue is about big events such as weddings and all sorts of things like that. Uh, what's this period of time been like for you? Um, we did a major renovation uh, last, well, at the beginning of this year, the end of last year, to build uh, a kitchen onto the shed. And that was just to get that done was really quite full on for me because it was endless council meetings and we finally got it through and then bank loans didn't happen and then um, I was just not really sure what I was actually going to do about this time last year. I thought, look, if, it do if this doesn't happen um, at the end of this year, 2019, I'm not I don't think I'm going to move forward with with the whole project. It was, it was just getting to the point where I, it was ridiculous, and and we had so many events booked in for this year, um, and I I knew that, and so the last event that we had for 2019 um, was sort of mid November, and I thought to myself, well. Should I, you know, in my head, I didn't really voice it to anyone, should I stop it then or should I just wait and see? So obviously I waited and, and I saw and I took a, um, a little gig in Morocco for a friend of mine, um, Cassie, who has a restaurant in Marrakesh called Plus Six One and she invited me over to cook there for a few days and um, which I did and I'd never been to Morocco before. So I thought to myself, look, Go away um, and see how how you feel when you're um, you know when you're away and, and see something else and 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 just move away from the shit that's going around in your head. Uh, and that was pretty full on actually that that experience as well. And I was I was fortunate enough to have a really good friend of mine, Alex Herbert, who you know. Um, she was actually touring Morocco at the time, and she said, "Marty, I'll come and help you." So that was like brilliant because I was cooking. Thai food in Marrakesh for about four services and um, yeah the boys had never 
that I worked with had never cooked Thai food before. So it was a learning curve for all of us, especially um, <laughs> Muslim boys who, um, <laughs> who thought, who is this strange white person cooking all of this strange food? Anyway, we all, we all gelled together, which was great, and we got those services done. Alex was a trooper because she is such a good list writer, which I'm not. It's all just floating around in my head um, that um, we got through that. And funnily enough, while I was there, um, the bank rang me and said, well, we've reconsidered your application for the loan. Um, things have changed in the banking world and um, we will now grant you your, your, um, your loan. So that was great because then I, I'm, I got to move into, I came back, I was really excited and the building, basically, I said to the builder, start building and I hadn't gotten this loan approval yet. I just thought if I don't say yes, um, he's just going to take on another job. And the, um, the brief was I had to have the building finished by the 14th of March because that was when my first wedding was. So he didn't have a very long time to build a big kitchen and bathrooms in, um, on, you know, as an extension onto a shed. And anyway, they did a very, very good job. And I'd never seen so many tradesmen on, um, a very small block of area <laughs> for the last few days. We had so many cars here and so many tradies and they all just got that job done and I was really, really impressed. And, you know, quite, you know, very stressed. Um, my team was stressed. I was stressed. We had the wedding on the 14th. The COVID thing was happening around us and I sort of was they, I was sort of ignoring that a little bit because I thought this cannot be happening. So I thought I'm just going to just concentrate on get, getting this job done, this, this build done. And, um, and we did have a wedding on the 14th of March and it went really well. And it was sort of the first week where, you know, wearing gloves and, and making sure that, you ha you know, that there was hand sanitizer everywhere and, and there it was still available and there was still toilet paper available in the shops, thank God. So I had, you know, everything had finished. Like we finished building on the 13th of March for that wedding the next day. Wow. It was ready to go. That's tight. And I prepped in the other shed. I've got two sheds on the property. So I prepped in the other shed with another friend of mine um, and then brought all the food down the next morning and put it into the new kitchen which I did have tested the day before to make sure everything worked. And, um, and we did a dinner for 110 people. Um, that, and then that was the one and only wedding <laughs> we've done this year <laughs> when I had, you know, 25 to 30 weddings booked for the whole, you know, for 2020. And, um, so, the next thing that happened, then we had one week. I I didn't take a I didn't have anything that following weekend. So that was the weekend where everything turned really weird, and um, and that's when you know the closures happened and and um, because I thought I'll have that weekend just to get everything um, under control and ready because everything was ready, but as in um, just putting everything away and knowing how everything works properly and. Um, and then we had a huge wedding that following weekend um, for 160. And that then got canned because we couldn't do it. And those people were very, very, very distraught about not being able to have their wedding. And, um, and that's when <clears throat> we 
you know, we had to close and I didn't know, I didn't really know what to do. Um, I sat here with Madeline, my assistant, and her mum, Wendy, who work with me both. And I said, I'm going to go and get a bottle of champagne and we're going to drink it. I'm going to make some lunch and then let's just have a nice lunch because it's such a beautiful day. And then we'll work out what we're going to do because I really did not know what to do. I had a huge loan that I just taken out and we had all of a sudden no income. <laughs> it was like, I'm like, yeah, anyway, I'm walking, I'm pacing, I'm pacing the room now because I'm, I'm just reliving that, that horrible thought in my head. How, how did you deal with the, your clients that, you know, weddings take a long time to plan and although it was out of your control, like how, how do you deal with clients having to cancel up to 25 weddings? Well, I've got a really good assistant, Madeline, and she is, um, she is my mouth because I'm not that good at dealing with that sort of thing because I can't, you know, I want to please everyone and then I say things that I probably shouldn't say and then I forget that I've said them and anyway, so she sort of takes control of that. But that particular couple had, had postponed their wedding twice because I postponed the bill twice of the shed and they really wanted to have their wedding at the Cook's Co-op. And they wanted the shed to be renovated, and it was, but they couldn't have it. So they, they, they actually thought it was a bad omen they shouldn't get married because every time it was about to happen, it didn't happen. So um, how how were you feeling at that time when you had that loan hanging over your head, a, a beautiful new kitchen, but um, no income coming in? How did that make you feel at that time? I was sick. I I had. After I came back from Morocco, I, I had rented this house in Windsor and I'd been living there. It was very beautiful and I was very happy. And the owner decided that they wanted to move back in. So um, um, when I got back from being away, I then had to move. So I moved into the cottage, which I have on the property, which is it's, it's cute. And I was doing the Airbnb thing and it was doing quite well. And um, I didn't really want to take on somewhere else to rent. So I thought, I'm just going to move into that cottage for a few months. And then by the time the weddings start, um, I'll move out again. And so answering your question, I just, I was already uncomfortable living in, on the property because I was always here. It was good for the build time, but I really thought I was going to be able to move out quite quickly. And, um, and then when that happened, I thought, well, Oh, the point of that story was the bushfires happened or were happening over that Christmas period while we were building. And that was another major drama because I thought, what if the place burns down? I mean, I'm in the bush and, you know, the Gospers Mountain fire, I could see the glow of the fire in the sky at night from my bedroom window. And, um, and that was scary and I thought, and there was some mornings where I could, my room was full of smoke. There was so smoky here. It was, it was thick smoke. And I woke up quite a few times thinking, oh, fuck, is the, is the, um, is the ridge line on fire? And I had to get up and have a look. And, and I've got, had the phone app on my, on my phone. So I, I had it on, on all the time to make sure that <laughs> I wasn't, Marty wasn't going to get burnt down. And um, I could swan dive into the Hawkesbury from from my house. <laughs> anyway, that didn't happen, thank God. But um, but it was it was close. The close the fire was sort of eighteen kilometres away from the Cooks Co-op, so it didn't come up the ridge. 
And um, going back to that question, the line thing, I by the time we got to the build and it was done and I was happy and I thought, you know, we'd done the bushfires, we also had a flood in between that time. The Hawkesbury did flood and um, I couldn't get into this area for about three days. And I, could, I was here, but you couldn't get out. Um, that was another, you know, that was like, how many things can happen? And, um, and, the, and then people were saying, there's going to be a locust plague next. And, and I'm thinking, oh, I just don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. And then, anyway. So what um, my thoughts were when we were drinking that champagne was I just don't know how I'm going to manage all of this now because there was nothing. We'd also, because I used to do... Um, a produce run into Sydney to chefs and that finished we I finished doing that sort of at the end of February and that was an extra income that we always had by doing the deliveries once a week and so I'd collect from farmers around here and deliver it into chefs in Sydney and that was great and I really I did enjoy doing it for the time I know but I couldn't wait to stop doing that and we ceased doing that in February because we I wanted to obviously concentrate on doing events. So I stopped doing that, which was lucky because then all the restaurants closed down anyway. So um, so I didn't have that either. So I was sort of just sitting here thinking, I don't know what to do. And I was watching other people in Europe and London and other chefs around saying, doing the takeaway thing. And I'm thinking, I'm, I live in Sackville. And doing takeaway out of a shed... I just don't know if that's going to happen. And I said to Madeline, do you reckon I should just do Thai takeaway on Saturday night and see how it goes? And, um, and so we did, and it was really busy. We sold out, like, immediately. And because um, I put it online, you had to prepay for the little menu that I did, and then we boxed it all up, and we took it out to the cars and put it in your boot, hot. So it was hot food. You know, the rice, the curry, the relish, the whatever else. I can't even remember what I did that night. But anyway, it was a full and dessert and whatever else it was. And um, so we did that the first weekend and I sort of looked at the takings. And after, you know, doing – it took me quite a few days to prep it all and, and get it done. So it was like, you know, 100 meals or however many meals it was. It was a lot of food. And um, – I thought, oh, I'm not going to do that again because that was all too hard, you know, trying to box the rice up and making sure that everything doesn't leak and stuff like that. So I thought the next week I'm going to pre-make it, cool, chill it, and then I'll give you the cold rice to cook, the cold curry to reheat, the relish, the vegetables and whatnot. And that was that worked a bit better. But it was still the takings weren't that, you know, for the amount of work that I had to do, it just wasn't sort of viable. You know, we needed to have a traffic person on the on the gate to make sure that, you know, people <laughs> stuck to the rules and then, you know, there was only one gate in and so, but I've created another road to sort of do a loop so they could go out. So there was a person there sort of guiding that traffic. So that person, two people on, you know, taking the boxes, me in the kitchen. So there was sort of four people to work to do that gig. So the next week, <laughs> the third week in, I decided to do a produce box have the food in there, extra produce so you could bulk up your meal. It was cold food or and I do and I did different cuisines every week. So it wasn't always Thai, it was Italian or Middle Eastern or Thai or or Luxa. I did a Luxa one weekend that was like I I've never been angry at myself so much for saying, 
do a Luxa Marty, it's going to be so easy. It's like there's so many elements to Luxa that you cannot just chuck it all in a box. It, there's no way. You've got separate noodles, separate bean sprouts, separate. Everything was separate. And, um, and it looked beautiful. But it was really, really hard. <laughs> and I would never do that to myself again. Chopping, grilling chickens to order, chopping them up. And I was like, oh, Marty, what, what, what are you doing? Anyway, people enjoyed it and they thought that was the best box ever, but it was the most work ever. So moving forward, um, to get me through the summer months, I, well, I've got a plan and the plan is that I want to do the produce boxes again, but I'm not going to do them out of the eating shed. I've got another shed with a big cool room in it. So I thought people could come up to the big cool room, grab their box. I had, I'd like to have some other value added stuff in the room. I haven't decided all, you know, what that is yet, but like maybe extra veg or um, some other bits and pieces that I'm thinking about, breadboards, you know, stuff with Cook's Co-op on there because people like that. And and then have the ready-made food also and maybe have some extra stuff there if they, they're interested, they could purchase that too. So come and get your box, browse around, see if there's anything else that you'd like. We're going to be prepping in the shed anyway, down at the eating shed. So I thought maybe we could do a really tiny menu for lunch and then people could use it as a, you know, people are coming out from the city, come and grab your box, go down to the shed, have a bowl of pasta or have some school prawns or whatever that, are, that we've got on and, um, and just have a bit of a day out because I think people are going to really want a day out soon because um, if we can't travel and Christmas is coming up, I, th I really think that that's what, um, I mean, I've asked quite a few people and from the city and they say, oh, Marty, would come out and grab it. It's only an hour, you know, from the city, CBD. Um, and it's a great drive. It's really easy. And, um, and you are in the country. And it's so beautiful to see the Hawkesbury River. No one's sort of seen that aspect of it before because we're, it's such a great expanse of water that we're looking onto or that the Cook's Cove looks onto. So it's something that I really want to um, share with people as well. You created those boxes to get through that period of time. What what happened once the industry was allowed to open up again? Because we couldn't have big events, but you were allowed to trade as a restaurant. So what we what I did then, I thought, well, I'm gonna I'll do the ten people, and we'll just continue doing the boxes. So we did the boxes, we did the ten people um, on Saturday night. So after the boxes had been. Um, 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 divvied out, then I did 10 people for dinner. And then it went to, I think it went to 20 or fifth, or went straight to 50 from 10. So when it went to 50, I stopped doing the boxes because the boxes waned. As soon as people could go shopping again, it sort of halved. So we had two weeks of thinking I was going to do 80 to 100 boxes. We only did 40. And that was fine because I rang a few other people around and said, what's happening with your box you know, your box collection, and they're saying, oh, it's halved now. So it wasn't, you know, I'm thinking, oh, maybe they're getting bored with me. But, um, you know, I have to say, <laughs> I have to say something about the locals of the Hawkesbury, that they really supported the Cook's Co-op and, and the business that we've now generated through doing the boxes, people coming back saying, we had your box now that, you know, we've eaten your food, we just want to, you know, come here and, and eat it in the shed. Um, until unless you do another box because we love having that at home too. So um, that is that was a really that was a nice feeling because I mean and there was people like I don't know where all these people came from. It was 
it was pretty impressive. Like every week, the same. And some people came from Blackheath. Some people did come from Sydney um, because they thought it was a nice drive and they knew that they were going to get a good product. So we saw a lot of the same faces every week and it was really good. Um, that is, that's what made me happy. And even though it was, you know, full on work, but at the end it was, we were done. Like pickup time was from four till six and we were done by 6.30. And then we, um, and then we sat down, had dinner, had a glass of wine and then thought about what we were going to do next week. (laughs) The process starts again. It was like, as soon as it was over, I really needed to get my head together and get going again. And, and, Something that I did learn, you know, something I did learn about myself. I mean, I can self, I'm pretty good self motivator, but um, there were times there where I just thought, oh, this is really hard. And I thought it was going to be easier. But um, look, I'm my worst, you know, my worst um, critic. So, you know, I'm thinking that, is it going to be enough? Do they think that, do you think that's enough food in the box? It's like, Marty, there's so much food in the box, it's not true. How are, how are you feeling about Cook's Co-op at the moment? You know, you had 25 weddings booked in and um, you had to change into becoming almost a restaurant again um, during this time. What's what's the landscape look like? I'm really glad that, you know, I've got my restaurant background. I've got a good team. Um, it's a very small team, but it's good and we can do 60 people. I mean, it, we only need, you know, four four or five of us to get to do a 60 dinner, a 60 um, packs dinner. And, um, and we do that Saturday night and Sunday lunch. So it's back to back. And so I prep, start prepping today, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday night we do the people. And then Sunday we do the people and, um, and then it again starts again. But, um, uh, it's not really what I wanted to do. Um, it doesn't generate a huge, income um i do need to do another day or another service i'm consi- i'm um very worried about the summertime um how hot it's going to be and and what what i can do to make it easier on us the staff to still be able to do an event on a very hot day we've done we've done dinners when it's been 40 to you know 45 degrees out during the day and then it cools off during the evening and I'll put a big deck on the back of the shed so we can take the tables out there. There's no covering on there, so it's weather dependent as well. So that's something that I, I do need to do, but it's just obviously something that does cost money if you want to do it properly, which I do. Um, so I'm just trying to think of things to do over the summertime and I'm thinking maybe just do drinks and um, really light food that we can just have a menu um, for lack of a better word, a, a tapas doesn't work for me, but, you know, small dishes that people can share and maybe have one substantial meal that then is on offer and then people can share that as well. So, so they leave full um, and we have been granted a licence, but I've got to build a new bar um, for council. Um, so I'm getting that priced at the moment, but, you know, everything's $20,000. So I'm trying to scrape that from... Um, I have to dig up a hole somewhere on the property where I buried 20 grand and see if I can find it. Was there still uncertainty about when restrictions will will lift? Um, the event space is one that's sort of not often talked about, but you know, having large events is something that seems a bit far off into the future. H- how do you see that fitting into your model? 
Well, we can only do. I mean, yeah, I'm, I don't know. We can only, at, at this point, we can only do sixty. So, and then sixty for a wedding. This is this is a good one. So we've got a wedding in a few weeks that is going ahead for ninety people, but we can only sit sixty for the dinner. So they're having drinks outside, but the rule for the drinks is that all people have to be sat while having a drink because you can't mingle. And finger food is sort of like, well, I've got to do – well, I'm trying to work out how to do all the finger food in little I, – I really, really have never wanted to use those little cones like that people use I and those little bamboo boats and all that stuff, but I'm going to do that. But I'm not going to get the little tray with a hole in it to put the cone in. I'm going to stick it in <laughs> rice or something. I can't go that – I'm not going that far because it's just – irks me that I've even got to use those kind and um but I'm going to do it and um because you've got to feed them um while they're having a drink while they're sitting down but I don't know if you know they're going to follow the rules because once people have a drink they sort of the rules sort of go out the window and you know I'm thinking we're thinking about hiring security to just have a security person walking around and saying you've got to sit down in the nicest possible way and then, and then 30 people will have to peel off and then 60 people come in and sit down and have dinner. So that's what they are doing and I am a bit worried about it. But we'll just see how that works. Watch this space. How did Cook's Co-op start? You've had it for seven years now. You, um, you know, you earn a name for yourself with Long Grain, you know, one of the most influential restaurants in the history in, of Sydney's culinary scene. Um, why did you head out to the bush and start that up? I bought this property in, oh, I think, the end of 2011, November. I bought that property with no intention of leaving, leaving Long Grain at that time, and I wanted, I, built, I wanted to build a house here. And it was a run-down piece of land that had the best view, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to build, I'm just going to use that as a weekend retreat I can come out here clear some land do some bits and pieces um, and then one day afford to build a house on here well that was my thought process and um, and then I sort of met started meeting people around the area and um, from farmers to the you know Gary Howard the fisherman up the road and um, Melinda Park Pork are very close to here um, who do the organic or the the free-range pig and um, I thought, oh, I've sort of landed in a really good spot here. And um, anyway, so as time progressed, I decided to leave Long Grain sort of a year after that. Um, and I planted out a big garden down on the, f um, on the river flats, which is part of the property as well. And I sort of started selling that back to, well, I, I, I gave Long Grain a year's notice. So in that time, I was growing stuff and selling it to long grain like Thai basil and coriander and some other bits and pieces. And I had other, um, I was sort of dabbling with other stuff like tomatoes and kale and cabbage and fennel and Colin um, Fastenage was buying from me and um, Monty was and a few other guys were sort of buying whatever I had, Alessandro and um, from Ormeggio and also Geo from Pilu. And um, so I sort of delivered bits and pieces to them and then I thought I think I can do this as a business so I sort of that's how the sort of the delivery started and I got to know more farmers and and I was planting and and doing the whole garden thing down there and 
Yeah. And then I and then somebody asked me because I obviously have two big sheds on the property. Somebody asked me if um, they could have their wedding in one of the sheds, and I said, "Well, you can, but it's a shed. There's nothing in it. It's empty." And they said, "Well, we'll put the lights in, and um, and then you know you've got about six months before the wedding is on. So see what else you can do." And I thought, oh, that's a bit of a challenge, and, and I'd like to do a wedding for the for this couple. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. And so I made a big ben- bench, bought some secondhand tables. They had hay bales with um, deer skins on them as seats, and I hired in, in equipment. And we did. Um, it was for an Asian couple, and they um, we did Thai food and suckling pig. Thank God that suckling pig worked because I was really scared that it wasn't going to work. But it did and it had the most beautiful, crispy, golden skin um, because Asian people and, and pork, they're obviously very, very picky about it. But I just was – I went outside and I said, thank you, God, for letting that work so well in this shed that I've never cooked in before. And um, anyway, it worked. And then word of mouth, people started thinking, oh, you know, we'd like to have our wedding there too. So we did quite a few weddings after that. And then, obviously, I needed to upgrade a little bit, bits, bit by bit by bit. And finally, in 2020, um, I got to build my kitchen. And, um, and it's here now. So, yeah, at least I, I got to build it. And that, going back to that question ages ago when you said, you know, how did you feel? Um, what do you think? How did you feel when it all shut down? I... The other thought through my head was, well, if every if all else fails, you got your, the vision came true, and you can and you and you can see it. You're you're in it. You're living it. You've got you've done you've done it. At least you've done it. And if it all fails, then at least you can walk away saying, I I did that, and I'm so proud of myself from nothing to something because it you know the property had nothing on it. It was derelict. I started it, it, seriously. I started from nothing. It was there was nothing here. We didn't even have hot water for that wet for that first wedding. We boiled the boiled the water in an urn, and, wa- and all the dishes were washed by hand. Everything was then wrapped in plastic and put away. And we did that up until middle of last year. And oh, we had hot water, but yeah, <laughs> it's been um yeah. It, there's been it's been really hard, and um. And I love torturing myself, but yeah, I really thought this year was going to be easier. But um, yeah, there's been definite moments where I'm not where I where I've still questioned myself, and I question question myself again yesterday. But um, I've gotten through that moment, and I'm back on track again. In part two of our conversation with Marty Boats, he tells us about his history in the industry and his hopes for the future. I want to offer somewhere where people can go and relax and feel and just feel calm. Tomorrow on Deep in the Weeds.